Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, everybody. I am so excited to get into part two of covering everything Barbie this week, in particular covering the Barbie movie. But before we get into all of that fun, of course, I do have a few things to mention to all of you. The first thing that I want to talk about today is to remind you all that I have another show coming out very, very soon. It is entitled Still Learning, and the host of that podcast is India Oxenberg, a great friend of mine. And you'll hear me, you know, a little bit more and more as the first season goes on. We've got some really, really amazing episodes planned for you. I've loved co-producing this show with her. I've learned so, so much from all of the different people that we've interviewed and spoken with, and I'm just so excited for all of my listeners to go on this new journey with me as well. The show will be coming out in a few weeks, so definitely keep an eye out for any updates that we give you all. The best way to know what's going on with that show is by following us on Instagram at Still Learning the Podcast. We'll put all of our updates up there, cool pictures, little things that we like, as well as, of course, putting up photos and references for the episodes that we are putting up and things like that as well. I will be sure to keep all of you in the know on the Angry Neighborhood Feminist Instagram as well and link you over to all of that fun stuff. But I am very, very proud of the work that we've done on this show. I'm so excited for it to be out in the world. And thanks to all of you who have reached out and congratulated me on all of this and everything. It's been such a crazy six months that we've been working on this. And I'm just so proud of the fact that we've been able to pull it off so well. She lives in Florida. I live in California. We did one recording where we were in the same room together and everything else has been long distance and it's tough but it's been really really great and I've made such a wonderful new bestie out of it like oh I just love her so much so that's why you've heard me talking about her so much because she's in my life constantly now And of course, the other thing that I want to mention is the Angry Feminist Book Club. So if you are interested in getting into the new series with India, if you want to know more about her background, definitely listen to her book, Still Learning, which is on Audible, and then listen to my coverage on it on Patreon. I I think it's pretty cool to be able to go back and listen to her story and talk about it now that I feel like I have a lot of more insider knowledge 
knowledge on Nexium, on India herself and what her experience was like. And I'm still learning more and more from her about what she went through. She's so open and honest, but at the same time, you know, that was a few years ago in her life. And now this show is going to be focusing more on other people's experiences, mostly about their healing experiences, rather than just talking about the darkest, hardest times in their lives. And so if you do want to have a little bit better of an understanding, definitely go listen to my coverage of Still Learning on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash angry neighborhood feminist. There is also coverage of the books Barracoon by Zora Neale Hurston, Women Talking by Miriam Taves, Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit by Jeanette Winterson, and most recently I put up the first episode covering The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum, going into the author himself, his inspirations for the story, and also how his life truly did reflect what came out in the book and then in the movie and so on and so forth. I am going to be putting up the second episode for The Wizard of Oz very shortly. I am putting it together, finishing it up. I just got to record, edit it up, throw it out there for you. This one's going to be a little bit more about a personal experience with the story, but also the impact that it's had on our culture, on storytelling, on filmmaking in particular, the different archetypes that are seen throughout the book and the movie. And it's just going to be a really, really fun one. It's kind of closing out my birthday month. July feels like it went on for a really, really long time. But I really, really loved focusing on topics that really, really have a particular interest for me. And as you all know, The Wizard of Oz is probably the biggest interest. So if you are interested in joining the Angry Feminist Book Club, like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to tell you again, go to patreon.com slash angry neighborhood feminist. You can join the book club at the $5 level. And then at the $7 level, you can join the feminist faves, which gives you all of these episodes ad free and a little bit early as well. Every once in a while, I throw up some little extra content things. Max and I were actually talking about maybe making some extra content together to put up there every once in a while. I don't know. I want to start having more fun with it, but I also really want to know suggestions that you all have for Patreon as well. So feel free to reach out to me and let me know anything that you want to see or hear on Patreon, and I am happy to give it to you. I really, really appreciate all the love and support that you're able to give me through that. So thanks. All right, let's get into the Barbie movie. Before I get into anything, though, I gotta say, this is a very, very spoiler-filled episode. So if you haven't yet seen the Barbie movie, please turn it off, go to your nearest movie theater, go see the Barbie movie, come back to your phone, hit play, and then listen to this episode. I don't want anyone being spoiled of this film because it was so fantastic. A writer for an article in The Guardian by the name of Mark Carmode described the Barbie movie as a righteously entertaining, candy-colored feminist fable that manages simultaneously to celebrate, satirize, and deconstruct its happy plastic subject. The Barbie movie has not only become the unanimous choice for movie of the summer, it has also placed itself as being one of the most polarizing films of the year. Republicans and those on the far right have lost their ever-loving shit over this movie, writing op-eds and hosting podcasts, rambling on about woke culture and the left-wing agenda. 
When I googled Barbie movie plus feminist, one of the first articles that popped up was a New York Post article by Pierce Morgan, an English journalist and broadcaster who is a complete pile of misogynistic, racist, fascist poo that was titled, If I Made a Movie That Treated Women the Way Barbie Treats Men, Feminists Would Have Me Executed. Pierce, 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 you big, big, dumb dummy. That was the point. You stupid, stupid person. Also, pretty much every movie since the beginning of time has treated women exactly the way the Kens are treated in this film. Not to mention any other minorities such as people of color or members of the LGBTQ plus community. Come on. To be unable to see or acknowledge this shows me that you're either just full of shit and know what you're saying isn't true and just want to rile people up, or you truly are dumb as rocks. So of course, I read this article. May as well see what the other side is saying. Pierce writes that the amount of times the patriarchy is mentioned was appalling to him. And I do have to say, there was times where I'm like, okay, this this word is being said a lot. I wish there was maybe some variations of this word or, you know, phrase it a little differently throughout the movie because they were really drilling in the patriarchy. But I'm not mad at it. I'm just pointing out the fact but Pierce also mentioned that most people reading the article probably didn't even know what the word patriarchy meant which again is further exemplifying his own stupidity while simultaneously mocking everyone else's intelligence as well I feel like in 2023 the definition of that word is pretty known even if people don't know exactly what it is and if you hear a word enough and you don't know what it means there's this thing called google and you can very easily find out So since Pierce assumes that no one knows what the word patriarchy means, he explains that the definition is rule of the father. He claims that the word has now been hijacked and corrupted by, quote, feminazis to suggest that every aspect of life and society is dominated by powerful, privileged males over subjugated, underprivileged females. In short, men are evil oppressors and women are unimpeachable, perfect victims, and anyone who dares challenge this notion is a disgusting misogynist. They did that on purpose. Greta Gerwig wanted to show her audience a world in which women behaved as men and like an extreme of it. Like the Barbies were all acting like the worst of what the men act like essentially in the beginning of the movie. And they're living in a world then where men became secondary characters. The message of this whole movie, which I find to be inherently feminist, is that women deserve to be empowered and men deserve to be vulnerable. On top of that, we all deserve to have a place in this world and feel good about ourselves. Hashtag, we all need feminism. However, I do love that in the end, the all-female Supreme Court isn't quite ready to have a man on board with them. So they're like offered a lower level position and they're ecstatic about it. Much like women have felt since the late 1800s grasping at their rights to vote and participate in government, we would take scraps and bits and continue fighting to this day for equal representation in our government. I'm really glad that Greta added this to the film. It was a really nice touch. On top of the Pierce Morgan article, other alt-right leaders, TikTokers, and podcasters have yapped their lips since the movie came out about how destructive it is. 
So before we go into any further conversations about this movie, the feminism that's present in it, let's do a quick synopsis. The movie is about stereotypical Barbie, who's played by the gorgeous and unbelievable Margot Robbie, along with a wide array of other Barbies who all live in Barbie land, a matriarchal society where women are self-confident, self-sufficient, and successful. On the flip side, their Ken counterparts spend their days waiting for a chance to see the Barbies or engaging in recreational activities on the beach. Basically, they're ornaments. All of the women are Barbie, and all of the men are just Ken. Except, of course, Alan, played by Michael Sarah. While the Barbies are doctors, lawyers, and politicians, even the president, Ken is only happy when he is with Barbie and seeks a closer relationship with her. However, Barbie rebuffs him in favor of independence and female friendships. Girls' night! But then suddenly, during one of her nightly dance parties, Barbie begins to worry about her own mortality. You guys ever think about dying? Once the thoughts begin to creep in, she wakes up the next morning with... <gasps> because of this, I want to know who in the writer's room had a foot fetish. There's a lot of images of feet in this movie. When she goes to step out of bed, she collapses to the ground. On top of the foot fiasco, nothing seems to be going right for stereotypical Barbie. Her breakfast is burned, her hair is out of place. It's just not her. When Barbie confides in the other Barbies about her problems, they tell her to go see Weird Barbie, who is said to be able to cure any affliction. When she meets Weird Barbie, played by Kate McKinnon, she is told that she must enter the real world and find the child playing with her and make things right with her. She's also told about cellulite and how terrible it is. I'll get into more of that later. Barbie is ready to embark on this journey alone, independent as always. But of course, Ken would miss Barbie terribly while she's away, and he wants to spend more time with her, so he hides himself in the back of her Corvette. This, by the way, is one of my worst fears and why I always check my back seat when getting into the car. Barbie discovers Ken halfway down the pink brick road while singing the Indigo Girls closer to fine. When Barbie and Ken arrive at Venice Beach, they are immediately smacked in the face by a male-dominated world. Barbie's like, all right, we gotta find the woman in charge, we have to figure out what's going on, and she is absolutely shocked and horrified to see that not only have men taken over all of women's jobs, but she's really shocked by the way that they're treating her. She's used to the Kens in their lives being very referential to the Barbies, and these men are just being outright assholes. They're smacking her butt, they're calling her they're groping her and while Barbie is really feeling out of place and scared in this new world Ken suddenly feels inspired by all of the powerful men seen around him he discovers the patriarchy eventually word gets back to Mattel's CEO played by Will Ferrell who is reprising his role from the Lego movies and he makes it his mission to get Barbie back in her box for remanufacturing Meanwhile, Barbie eventually finds a teenaged girl named Sasha, who she believes to be her owner. Barbie expects Sasha and her friends to be excited seeing her, thinking they would hug and thank her for solving all of women's issues. Instead, the girls, Sasha in particular, tear her apart for encouraging unrealistic beauty standards and capitalistic propagandism. This hits Barbie really hard. 
When Barbie sees Sasha again, she's with her mother Gloria, and they realize that it was actually Gloria who had been playing with the Barbie all along. And the reason that Barbie was suddenly having all of these thoughts of death and feeling so anxious and depressed was because Gloria was making these really kind of dark and cool Barbie designs, and this Barbie was reflecting them. Meanwhile, Ken is living it up in the real world, though he was a little disappointed that the patriarchy was about more than men and horses. He feels accepted and respected for the first time in his life, so when he returns to Barbie land, he persuades the other Kens to take over, and the Barbies are subjugated into submissive roles such as maids, housewives, and agreeable girlfriends. Such a shame. When Barbie arrives back in Barbie land, she's horrified to see what Ken has done and tries to convince him to return things to the way they were. When this attempt fails, she becomes depressed. But then, Gloria gives her an impassioned speech about society's conflicting expectations of women, restoring Barbie's self-confidence. With help from Sasha, Gloria, Weird Barbie, Alan, and other discontinued Barbies, Barbie starts off on a mission to deprogram her fellow Barbies with Gloria's speech and cooks up a plan to manipulate the Kens into fighting amongst themselves, distracting them from altering the Constitution to enshrine male superiority while they take back Barbie land. Once the Kens are stopped, both the Barbies and the Kens realize that there are problems with their previous societal system as well, and decided to make some changes to Barbie Land, including better treatment for Kens and all of the outcast dolls. Barbie and Ken apologize to one another and acknowledge their failings. Ken feels like he has no identity or purpose without Barbie, and in response, Barbie encourages him to find his own identity. Barbie feels similarly after going through that adventure and wants to discover who she really wants to be as well. She decides to become a human and return to the real world for good. We end the movie seeing her sign in for her first ever gynecological appointment. She finally has a vagina. Go Barbie! As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. There are a lot of references to different movies in this film, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but I do really want to talk about the opening scene before I get into different topics of discussion regarding this film. And the opening scene was inspired by Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, and it's this like prehistoric setting with these little girls playing with baby dolls. Since the beginning of time, little girls have been expected to play with these baby dolls, right? There is mention, like we talked about last week, the fact that little girls played with baby dolls to prepare them to be future housewives. And we see a group of young girls begin to be very, very bored with their baby dolls. Until, that is, a giant Barbie steps in, representing what life can be like outside of motherhood for a woman. In the movie, it is explained that thanks to Barbie, all of the problems of feminism and equal rights have been solved. We fixed everything, so all women in the real world are happy and powerful. And this is setting up the idea that all of the Barbies have in Barbie land, that they've truly made the world a better place for every girl on the entire planet, and they can rest easy and be happy because they were so successful in doing this. So let's talk a little bit about Barbie land as a feminist utopia. Barbie land is like what a little girl would imagine a feminist utopia to be like. In a real world where a female president and an all-female Supreme Court feels impossible, Barbie land is a place where you can pretend it's possible. Hell, not only did we have a female president in the movie, but we had a black female president portrayed by Issa Rae. The catharsis lies in its exaggeration. As we know in reality, an all-female government wouldn't necessarily change everything, as people are people and there are some really shitty women out there in the world as well. And the idea of swinging to a more misandrist world is probably how a lot of little girls in the United States wish it could be right now, as it's men who seem to be taking away all of our rights and our futures. This movie is important because it shows that both misogyny and misandry are dangerous things. I make jokes about men and things like that all the time, but that's only because I think more men need to realize that the feminist agenda would actually work for them. We want everyone to be vulnerable, authentic, and happy with themselves. That means boys and men can cry, they can feel deep feelings, and they can even share them without fear of retribution. 
And this is something that's shown a lot in the beginning of the Barbie movie, especially as we see Ken trying to get closer and closer to Barbie. And she always just seems very bewildered as to why he wants to be close to her. It's like he, when he asks if he can spend the night, she's like, well, why? What for? Like, I don't get it. And he's like, well, we're boyfriend and girlfriend. And she just kind of seems perplexed by what that even means. And she's like, well, I can't. Like, it's girls night just like it is every night and yes this sounds amazing would I love it to be girls night every night yes but I also think that we need to be more open and inviting to all sorts of people in the world especially people who are truly showing us that they care like Ken is not that I'm saying they need to be romantically involved but come on let the guy in a little bit now while we're talking about Ken let's talk about the importance of Ken's role as a study in male fragility. According to an article in The Guardian, Ken gets the juiciest character arc, he gets all the good jokes, and he gets multiple musical numbers. Ryan Gosling's Ken is self-aware, self-referential, and complicated. Some are saying this may be the best role of Ryan Gosling's career, and I couldn't agree more. I love me some Ryan Gosling. I'm a terrible movie watcher, though, so it's not like I've seen every movie that Ryan Gosling has ever done. But being a young girl in the early 2000s, of course, I loved him in The Notebook. I've never seen Drive, but Max and I really want to watch it. And I just feel like he's one of those celebrities that has always been really talented. He's incredibly good looking. If all of us will remember the Hey Girl meme from about 10 years ago, he's kind of been seen as a sort of feminist male icon for quite a while already. But he's always kind of like shied away from the spotlight. He's married to Ava Mendez and they have kids and he doesn't really like talk about their relationship or their personal life much and he just seems like he would be someone that in real life I would want to be friends with like he just seems genuinely like this good person and the fact that he's gorgeous I think on top of all of that just like you know catapulted him into stardom and it's so funny to me because you know people are like wow he's a really good singer and dancer ever since La La Land and I'm like he was a mouseketeer he was on the Mickey Mouse show like when he was a little kid he was best friends with Justin Timberlake they were roommates when they were little and on the show he sang along with Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and if you haven't seen the videos of young Ryan Gosling dancing and dance recitals like it must have been what inspired the choreography in some of the Barbie movie because we know where he got those moves from and he plays this role so well because Ken could so easily come off as being an asshole or a jerk, and he doesn't. He just seems ignorant, but also like a guy that is in puppy love with Barbie and wants to do what's best and wants to have power, but kind of makes some mistakes. And while I think that a lot of people are trying to tie Ken into a representation of the patriarchy, I think it's interesting that it doesn't really seem like Ken likes the patriarchy it seems like he cares more about the physical manifestations that the patriarchy could give him such as like respect and power and a job and an identity and things like that ken wants so badly to be acknowledged by barbie that his neediness turns into an ugly caricature of masculinity that spreads to the other kens until they infect all of barbie land with a sort of cartoon over-the-top patriarchal system 
I think it's very funny that Ken is disappointed that the patriarchy is more than just men and horses. I, too, am a little bit disappointed in that fact. When Ken discovers that demolishing feminism involves more than donning Sylvester Stallone-inspired fur coats, riding horses, and redecorating Barbie's dream house into what he calls the Mojo Dojo Casa house, he loses interest. He's easily distracted by acting out war games with the other Kens and doing musical numbers, allowing the Barbies to take back Barbie land from the boys. It all comes to a head for Ken toward the end of the movie when he's grappling with the concept of inner validation, realizing he can never truly be happy until he realizes who he is outside of his relationship with Barbie, which is something that I think everyone needs to recognize sometimes. But this ending is interesting to me because it flips the usual script of the woman character discovering at the end of the movie that she doesn't need a man. And this movie offers commentary on how men ought to reassess their own desires outside of their need to both control and depend on women. Because how many women listening to this show right now have felt like they've mothered their partner before? Are we all raising our hands? Great. I also love and have to note that Ryan Gosling got super into this role and seemed to have enjoyed playing it so much, which is also really relayed on the screen, which makes his character even more fun to watch. And it seems like he has really enjoyed this role so much, in fact, that he said in interviews that he's had trouble shaking off his inner Ken post-filming, leading to jokes comparing him to Austin Butler after playing Elvis. For this topic, I got some of my information from a Refinery29 article where they discuss how the movie is dominated by white characters, quote, vocalizing the concerns of women who are already seen as default. The main Barbie in the movie herself is the default, as she is stereotypical Barbie. She is unable to see the nuances of being any other kind of Barbie. Margot Robbie's character is often apologetic for the things she doesn't know because up until this point in life, Things had been easy for her, and she didn't really have to think about difficult things. The article says, quote, This isn't just a story of Barbie finding herself. It's about her seeing the world as it really is for the first time. And who would be more in need of a reality check than a thin, blonde, white woman? As being two out of three of those things, I agree. We all need a little bit of a privilege check every now and again. Instead of being resentful when her privilege is pointed out, she feels terrible. She truly wants to be an inspiration to all girls and thought that she already was. So to find out that she had been causing some of them pain was absolutely devastating to her. And I love that she didn't get defensive. I feel like in our real world, when you try to point out somebody's privilege or you call them a fascist like little Sasha did, they get incredibly defensive. And no, I'm not. No, I'm not. You know, and it becomes this really kind of ugly thing without any accountability being taken. And I like the fact that in this movie... Barbie really does seem to take a lot of responsibility and accountability, even if she didn't really know that she was behaving in a certain way that was damaging to other people. I think that this really exemplifies a good way of taking a step back, listening to someone else's experience and how they perceive you, and then take that into account, kind of like do some stock and inventory on yourself and be like, what do I need to change? How do I need to be better? And move forward from that. No need to be defensive. 
I also want to note that I think that the casting of Margot Robbie as stereotypical Barbie was very deliberate. Yes, she is the producer and basically cast herself, but I did watch an interview where she was with Greta Gerwig and they were talking about how Margot had said to her, that she would happily step down from the role if Greta thought that there was somebody else that would be better suited for the part or that deserved it more or whatever. And I thought that that was a really, really great thing to say. It's like, you know, I want to do what's best for this project. So if another look or another actor would be better for that, you know, more power to Greta to create this masterpiece. And honestly, that's what a good producer does first. But I truly love the fact that we have someone like Margot Robbie, who, you know, I think as an actor is a very has had a very interesting career, because the first time that I really remember seeing her was as this like, hyper hyper sexualized woman in Wolf of Wall Street. And then I feel like ever since then, like if you ask any guy who the hottest actress is, they're going to say Margot Robbie. And she was very sexualized, I feel like, by the media and by her male fans for a really long time. And now, of course, she's receiving all this vitriol for being in this movie and for people realizing that she is actually quite a advocate for feminist ideals and things like that. They're like, oh man, I thought she was just hot and didn't have a brain. No, turns out she is very smart, very kind, and has good morals. She is the total package. So it seems like Margot Robbie also really does her best to acknowledge her privilege, or at least tries to, which I really appreciate as well. And I think that the reason that they chose to make Stereotypical Barbie the main character of this film, and I really think of Stereotypical Barbie as being like the original Barbie in the swimsuit and things like that, but they call her Stereotypical. And I think that that was all very, very purposeful to show the fact that this Barbie has had so much privilege and opportunity throughout her life compared to even maybe some of the other Barbies who aren't the main characters, even though they're Nobel Prize winning authors and presidents and uh, lawmakers and career women and all of this stuff. We are still focusing on this stereotypical Barbie and her experience. I think that's very, very deliberate. The stereotypical Barbie is not a woman of color. She's not curvy. She does not have imperfect skin. She has all the Kens falling all over her, an experience that the majority of women in the world don't get. By showing us this perfect Barbie, realizing that she isn't actually that great is humbling to audiences. She admits that she isn't as smart or capable as the other Barbies, like the black president or Dr. Barbie played by Hari Neff. She is admitting that she doesn't feel as human and as authentic as those around her, and she also seems inspired by them to find her own strength and her own calling. The movie crammed a very diverse cast into one film as well, and a lot of it to me did feel like they were just checking boxes of diversity, but at the same time, I respect the fact that they did their best to show a vast array of races, ethnicities, body types, and abilities in Barbie Land, even if they weren't the main characters. All right, now I want to talk a little bit about my favorite character of the entire film, my man, Alan. While Ken is in his incel era, turning Barbie land into a macho man's utopia, Alan is not happy about it. 
When Alan was living in Barbie land, he lived comfortably in the shadow of the Kens, minding his own business. But the machismo of the new society becomes very unsettling to him, and he finds himself serving beers and giving foot rubs along with the Barbies, not being seen as masculine or buff or authoritative enough to do what the Kens are doing. Michael Sarah said of his character, Alan is sort of like a person without a group that he belongs to. He's kind of a loner in a way. Ugh, I resonate too hard with that one. Alan decided to side with the Barbies because he sees flaws in the patriarchy, as any good man would. In a world that was designed to benefit him, he doesn't feel satisfied. That's our Alan. Many people have also noted that they think Alan is super queer-coded, And that was something Max actually asked me when I started comparing him to Alan. He's like, well, isn't he gay? And I'm like, no, he's married to Midge. And I mean, that doesn't mean he's straight. He could be bi. He could still be considered queer. You know what I mean? Instead of being fully gay. But I've been seeing a lot of articles online and videos on Instagram and things like that where a lot of gay men are discussing how much they related to Alan's character because Alan is the one that is siding with the Barbies where I feel like a lot of gay men through time have always sided more with women than with men in a lot of ways because women have been more accepting to the gay community in our history than men have, especially straight men. And so I thought that was really wonderful. You can totally see Alan's character as being that type of friend in your life like Alan Michael Sarah's portrayal of him truly does remind me of a lot of my younger friends at skating growing up who would you know grow up to come out as being gay and things like that where they fit in with us well and accepted us girls and it was just a beautiful friendship so I love that there's that representation in the movie as well. My other favorite character in the movie was Weird Barbie. And didn't we all have at least one Weird Barbie? I remember once I got a little older and played with my Barbies less, that was when I started to massacre their hair, draw on them, all that stuff. I love that Weird Barbie has such a representation in this movie. And I do think it is kind of this weird symbol of growing up in a way because I don't know if it was this way for everyone. Maybe everyone always was destructive to their Barbies, but... When I was younger and I was playing with them a lot, I feel like I, you know, I didn't treat them like super nicely, but I treat, I didn't cut their hair off and like massacre them like I said I did. And I feel like once I kind of got bored with them, I was like, well, I might as well shave her head and put on, you know, weird Sharpie makeup on her face and things like that. And it does kind of seem like this middle ground of growing out of toys and childhood and getting into teenagerhood, which I think is also a really big arc in this film, particularly with Gloria and Sasha's characters as mother and daughter and what it means to have a daughter who's growing up. And I got to say, every scene in the movie where they showed the little girl growing up and playing with the Barbie and not getting along with her mother, I was immediately a sobbing mess. I think I cried like full on tears at least five different times throughout the film. The other thing that I really love about Weird Barbie in the Barbie movie was that she was obviously supposed to be Glinda, the good witch from The Wizard of Oz. 
The weird Barbie first asks Barbie if she would like to go on this journey of self-exploration in order to save herself. And at first, Barbie completely rejects it and doesn't think that she has the capabilities to do something so adventurous and daring. Because, of course, she's just stereotypical Barbie. She can't do that. But then weird Barbie breaks the news that she actually doesn't have a choice, that she has to go to the real world and find the person playing with her in order to fix a portal between the two worlds. This is the same as Glinda telling Dorothy, sorry kid, the only way out is by following the yellow brick road and getting to the wizard. I'm going to get into this on this coming week's Patreon episode, so I don't really want to get into this topic too much, but this movie is a perfect example of a hero's journey, which is also known as the monomyth in filmmaking and storytelling, and it was very much inspired by The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz is considered being one of the first times that that archetype was like super prevalent in a film narrative and that's why many many other movies have copied that in years to come and Barbie was one of those as well and the fact that The Wizard of Oz is such a queer classic film and that Barbie was mirroring a lot of the Wizard of Oz themes I find to be a really really cool connection and there are a lot of really cool queer references in Barbie but since we're talking about the Wizard of Oz right now let's begin with more of those I mentioned in the synopsis that Barbie Land has a pink brick road instead of a yellow brick road, which is obviously a nod to the Wizard of Oz. There's also a rainbow that is seen over the pink brick road when she's driving away, which is obviously a nod to the Wizard of Oz. But I also saw this picture online where they were comparing the scene where they're traveling into the real world and they're on the tandem bikes and they're in this area with like a lot of poppy flowers and I think a windmill and things like that and if you took a screenshot of that clip from the Barbie movie and compared it to Dorothy and her group and the Wizard of Oz kind of running through the poppy fields it's like the same image it's really really cool and also in the beginning of the movie when Barbie is seen driving around Barbie land she passes by a movie theater which is advertising the Wizard of Oz with a series of character posters. So again if you pause it and you look really close you'll see a Wizard of Oz movie poster in the background of the movie. And Greta Gerwig has said in interviews how the making of the Wizard of Oz inspired how she made the Barbie movie as well. She said, The Wizard of Oz has these incredible sound stages and these painted skies and this sense of, I say, authentically artificial, which I think is very beautiful and emotional. And that's true. I mean, The Wizard of Oz was purposefully made to being like hyper colorful. And I really like the way that she says authentically artificial because it's like they look real, but they're like the leaves are too green, the flowers are too pink, the yellow brick road is too yellow. You know what I mean? It's like very campy and bright and colorful. Another queer coded message in this movie that a lot of people pointed out was the Birkenstock. We love the fact that it was the lesbian Kate McKinnon's character that did this. And I actually read during my research as well that Kate McKinnon and Greta Gerwig were roommates at one point. So I love that Greta kind of kept in this lesbian nod in the movie because Weird Barbie presents Barbie with two choices to solve her problems, either going back to her regular life as it was before 
power or to know the truth about the universe. And this is represented with a clear homage to the Matrix with the red pill, blue pill thing. But instead of a red and blue pill, ignorance is represented by a classic Barbie heel and knowledge is represented by the lesbian staple, the Birkenstock. She must choose the Birkenstock. I love the fact that we got some cock ring Ken action in this movie, better known as Magic Earring Ken, but you know I can't call the doll by its actual name. While I so thoroughly enjoyed seeing this character, when I looked a little bit closer, I was very disappointed to see that his necklace said Barbie and was not the classic cock ring around his neck. So Greta, a word? The movie also reminded us of Sugar Daddy Ken, who, in the movie, claims that his name is merely inspired by his dog named Sugar, making him Sugar's daddy. But by the looks of this Ken, I think they meant exactly what they said with the name. Another thing that the lesbians and bi ladies are going to love in this movie are the multiple times that we get to hear the song Closer to Fine by the Indigo Girls. This song plays three times throughout the movie, and in it, the lyrics talk about going to see the Doctor of Philosophy. Emily Saylor's one half of the Indigo Girls with Amy Ray said she loved the movie, and Emily also talked about how she had never been one to play with Barbies as a kid, so she wasn't quite sure right away about licensing the song to the movie. But when she found out that it was going to be a Greta Gerwig film, her anxieties went away, and they decided to let her use the song. It wasn't until they went to the movie theaters and saw that it was like actually pretty featured in the film and was played three times, she said to Variety, As a fan of both Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, to see and hear them singing a song I wrote was just mind-blowing. It was a surprise that fell out of the sky, like a gift from heaven, for sure. Barbie and Ken throughout the movie are asking themselves questions like, who am I? What is my place in life? And the song itself is about asking questions and not beating yourself up over not knowing the answers. Emily loves that this song is used in the film because on one hand, the song, just like the movie, is full of existential questions. But on the other hand, it's so fun, vibrant, funny, and full of life. Okay, let's talk a little bit about body shaming and lack of diverse Barbies. I get that this is supposed to be obviously sarcastic and that it's normal to have cellulite, but it still kind of sucked hearing all of the discussion around it. For some reason, the repeated negative mention of cellulite irked me when I was in theaters as it reminded me of my thinspo-obsessed days when I would hyperfixate on every inch of my body. And I don't want this movie even telling young girls what cellulite is. Like, maybe if we just don't even tell them that it exists, they won't worry about it, know what I mean? So that was kind of my thought about that when leaving the movie. But of course, in preparation for this episode, I wanted to read a lot of different articles with different viewpoints and things like that so that maybe I could then be better informed as well. And there was an article where Ashley Graham was speaking with People Magazine, and she thought the opposite that I did. She thought that this was a good thing and thinks it's something that we need to talk more about. She said, I have it, we have it, it is what it is, and Barbie never had it, ever, so I'm glad they talked about it and addressed it in their way. And I thought this was a really good point that I didn't think about. 
We've never seen the typical Barbie looking anything less than perfect. So seeing her go through the same sort of insecurities that everyone else does is really refreshing. And Ashley Graham is now pushing for cellulite Barbie, which I am so here for. All right, the last thing that I wanted to talk about in regards to this movie was the character Gloria played by America Ferreira's amazing speech. Like I mentioned in the synopsis, a big part of the movie was this big monologue that Gloria gives to Barbie in order to motivate her to take back Barbie land. The speech is used again and again on each Barbie until they are each deprogrammed out of the patriarchal thinking and to prepare them to fight the Kens. Gloria's speech encapsulates the impossible struggle for perfection that many women feel acutely. And I want to repeat the speech now because it was just so impactful for me and I want to hear it again, so I think everyone else should take a real good listen again as well. It is literally impossible to be a woman. You are so beautiful and so smart, and it kills me that you don't think you're good enough. Like, we have to always be extraordinary, but somehow we're always doing it wrong. You have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but also you have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. You have to be a career woman, but also be looking out for other people. You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane, but if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be a part of the sisterhood. But always stand out and always be grateful, but never forget that the system is rigged. So find a way to acknowledge that, but also always be grateful. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too contradictory and nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. I am just so tired of watching myself and every single other woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us. And if all of that is also true for a doll just representing women, then I don't even know. Ugh, did that speech not just hit you right in the heart? That speech made me cry all over again because I feel like when America Ferrero was saying that, it was like she was literally explaining how I've felt my entire life, not even just as a woman necessarily, but just trying to fit into this world. It's like, be outgoing, be positive, but don't be annoying, don't talk too much, don't try to attract too much attention, be pretty, but don't be too pretty because then either men are going to treat you terribly or women are not going to like you because you're too pretty or whatever, which was something that was very ingrained into our heads for a very long time. And also, if you're a little too pretty or wear a little too much makeup, you're seen as not being very smart or not being capable or not being seen as someone who can actually take authority in this world. 
that's why women aren't being taken seriously enough to be in any sort of important leading positions because we are so completely misunderstood. And on the flip side of that, if you decide not to wear makeup, if you don't get dolled up, if that's just not your thing, you're seen as not being professional. And again, they're not going to put you into a leadership position. It is so damn hard to exist as a human being in this world and to be enough for one another and to just feel like we're enough for ourselves. And the fact that this movie talks so much about how all of us try so fucking hard to just fit in, to get along, to be accepted. I think it's such an important message because it's not just showing that little kids go through this. Adults do too. We're still going to go through changes and hardships and we're going to get dark and moody and angsty even like teenagers sometimes because god damn it this life is really really hard it's really hard so while i was expecting originally to go to the barbie movie and escape reality into this utopian matriarchal world for a few hours instead i sobbed multiple times missed my mother multiple times I mourned my childhood, I laughed, I sang. It was such an important movie in my opinion. And I do have to say that it did take me a little bit to get the hype for the movie. I The first like 10 minutes to me, I didn't really love all of the portrayals. I feel like some of the lines didn't really hit for me. And because of that, I was kind of being taken out of the world of Barbie land for a little bit. But as soon as she reached Weird Barbie's place the first time and the story really picked up, I began to see why this movie is getting the attention that it's gotten, why this movie has made so much money, and why so many people feel strongly about it. Because I do think that this might be one of the most important movies that has been made in a really, really long time. And not just because of its message, but because of the way that it was able to portray its message. It wasn't given to us in this heartbreaking story of the struggle of women. It was fun and campy and colorful and satirical and in your face and something that we're all going to be quoting for a really really long time and it's a movie that I think that I could enjoy watching over and over and over again. I'm so glad that people of all ages of all backgrounds and of all walks of life are getting out and seeing this movie because I really think that no matter what it's thought-provoking and I wish that you know people on the right were not hating on it so much for its wokeness and all of that Because truly, like with most things, I think that if we were to understand that a patriarchy or a matriarchy would not be necessarily the way to go, we would all be a little bit happier. And you know what? That's because we all need feminism. Even men, even women, even Allens. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. There are so many more things to cover about this amazing movie, but those were the main things that were the takeaways for myself and the things that I really wanted to talk about. But if you still wanted to reach out with your thoughts and feelings on the Barbie movie, please go ahead and email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. Don't forget to check out the Angry Feminist Book Club with a new episode covering The Wonderful Wizard of Oz coming out very, very soon. 
And I will let you know very shortly what next month's book is going to be because I got to figure that out ASAP. I have a couple ideas. I just haven't decided on the one yet. To join, go to patreon.com slash angryneighborhoodfeminist to join the $5 Angry Feminist Book Club or the $7 Feminist Faves level. Don't forget to check out my new show, Still Learning the Podcast, on Instagram at Still Learning the Podcast. And also, last but certainly not least, if you enjoy the show and you think that others would too, please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show or go on over to Spotify and rate the show over there. I truly appreciate all of the ratings and reviews and the kind words that you share with the world. So thank you so much. It's always very touching to me as well. All right. That's all I have for you today. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. So you've heard of Florida Man, but what about Florida Chupacabra? That's right. The urban legend is real and lurking in the Everglades in the new horror comedy show from Realm, Low Life. Lowlife follows a chupacabra exterminator in South Florida who becomes unlikely allies with a marine biology student when a standard house call goes horribly wrong. It looks like there's a new monster in their midst, but there's more than one secret hiding in the swamp. Lowlife is a funny, twisty mystery that also has some pretty scathing commentary on corporate elitism and eco-fascism. So you're in for a wild ride and some razor-toothed chupacabras. Listen and subscribe to Low Life wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at realm.fm.